Welcome to You News, the podcast using the power of Univision to bring the news that matters to you in English. Today is Wednesday, April 21st. I'm Andrea Linares. These are today's headlines. A historic moment for the nation. Former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin found guilty of all charges in the murder of George Floyd in a case that drew worldwide protests, violence and a fervent examination of racism and policing in America. Plus, the Justice Department announcing a sweeping investigation into policing practices in the entire Minneapolis Police Department, the probe potentially resulting in major changes. And the U.S. is set to meet President Biden's goal of administering 200 million vaccine doses by his 100th day in office, as efforts now center on vaccinating the rest of the public. This and much more today on U News, transmitting live from our newsroom in Miami. It was a historic verdict, guilty on all counts. Today, Derek Chauvin is behind bars. The former police officer, now a convicted murderer. He's sitting at the Oak Park Heights facility in Stillwater, Minnesota, for the killing of George Floyd. The world watching very closely. Crowds across the country gathering to hear the verdict. Many overcome with joy, as they say, justice prevailed. In Minneapolis, crowds marching and chanting while holding signs. In New York City and Atlanta, protesters marched in support of the George Floyd family. Now there's optimism that change is coming. The Justice Department announced this morning a sweeping investigation into the Minneapolis Police Department. Here's what Attorney General Merrick Garland had to say. I strongly believe that good officers do not want to work in systems that allow bad practices. Good officers welcome accountability because accountability is an essential part of building trust with the community and public safety requires public trust. But first, let's go inside the courtroom as the judge read the verdict. Derek Chauvin seemed emotionless. Derek Chauvin waking up behind bars today. The former Minneapolis police officer, now a convicted murderer in the killing of George Floyd. We, the jury, in the above entitled matter as to count one, unintentional second degree murder while committing a felony, find the defendant guilty. Chauvin found guilty on all three counts, second degree murder, third degree murder, and second degree manslaughter. Are these your verdicts? So say you one, so say you all. Yes. Chauvin looking on, then taken away in handcuffs. Members of the jury took just 10 and a half hours to reach a unanimous decision. In their deliberations, jurors not asking a single question to the judge or for any clarifications before announcing they made their decision. As the verdict was announced, the nation reacted. Cities across the country had prepared for possible unrest, but instead it was a celebration. Hugs, tears and emotions pouring out. This is going to be the first in, in a, in a future of change. I promise you that. The Floyd family overjoyed after waiting 11 months for justice. Oh man, so many emotions right now. I would not call today's verdict justice, however, because justice implies true restoration. But it is accountability, which is the first step towards justice. President Joe Biden calling George Floyd's family to share the moment. 
I think a John is coming. My dad is going to change the world. He's going to start to change it now. And also addressing the nation. No one should be above the law. And today's verdict sends that message. Chauvin is now facing up to 40 years in prison. Sentencing is expected in eight weeks and his bond was revoked, which means he will now be spending all of that time waiting on his sentencing behind bars. Meanwhile, the three other officers facing charges in Floyd's death are expected to be tried together in August. Let's go to Luis Mejid. He's in Minneapolis with the latest on the reaction on the ground. Luis, what exactly are you seeing at the moment? Thank you. This is the place where last minute began the tragic story of the death of George Floyd. Uh, people have been quietly gathering here to honor his memory and since the verdict was announced to, to renew their commitment to the fight for justice. Today, the Justice Department in Washington, D.C. announced a sweeping investigation into the practices of the Minneapolis Police Department. The death of Floyd was already being investigated uh, by the government for civil rights violation. Uh, now the investigation is uh, extended to the practices of the police department as a whole, specifically the use of force, uh, looking for systemic patterns of uh, discrimination, uh, even the way the, the police treated uh, the protesters in the last um, protests will be uh, investigated. Uh, it will be within the scope of this investigation. For the people who, who gather here in what is now called George Floyd Square, uh, the verdict is not the end but the beginning. The beginning of uh, what they say is a, a long journey seeking justice. Uh, this is all from Minneapolis. Back to you. Thank you so much, Luis Mejid, for that. And now let's go to Washington, D.C. for more reaction from the Biden administration. The Department of Justice announcing this morning it is now opening a sweeping investigation into policing practices right there in Minneapolis. President Joe Biden also condemned the killing of George Floyd in an address just hours after the verdict was read. Edwin Pitti has the very latest on this. Edwin, what did Attorney General Merrick Garland say? Andrea, for the U.S. Attorney General Mary Garland, quote, nothing can fill the void the loved ones of George Floyd have felt since his death. And because of that, in so many cases, Garland announced a sweeping Justice Department probe into the practices of culture of the Minneapolis Police Department. The civil investigation would determine whether Minneapolis police engage in a pattern or practices of unconstitutional or unlawful policing. Let's listen. The investigation I am announcing today will assess whether the Minneapolis Police Department engages in a pattern or practice of using excessive force, including during protests. The investigation will also assess whether the MPD engages in discriminatory conduct and whether its treatment of those with behavioral health disabilities is unlawful. For the Attorney General, the investigation aims to root out more systemic problems within local police agencies. Just last week, Garland said the Justice Department will return to a more robust use of the federal legal authority to push for reforms among police departments. And that's exactly what President Biden is calling for. Just hours after the verdict was announced, he addressed the nation and called call on us to stand up against racism, saying that no one should be above the law. So we can't leave this moment or look away thinking our work is done. We have to look at it. We have to we've looked as, as we did for those nine minutes and 29 seconds. We have to listen. I can't breathe. I can't breathe.
Those are George Floyd's last words. We can't let those words die with him. We have to keep hearing those words. We must not turn away. We can't turn away. The Speaker of the House, Nancy Pelosi, said it is time to enact the George Floyd Justice in Policing Act, a debate that definitely will make headlines in the following weeks. We are reporting live in Washington, D.C. Andrea, back to you. Thank you, Edwin. Excellent reporting there. And Democratic lawmakers successfully blocked an effort to censure California Representative Maxine Waters for her comments about the Derek Chauvin trial. Minority leader Kevin McCarthy introduced the resolution Monday following Waters' comments over the weekend. She had called for protesters to get more confrontational if Minneapolis police officer or former officer Derek Chauvin was acquitted in the killing of George Floyd. The California Democrat says she was asking people to confront the U.S. justice system in a nonviolent way. Let's go to criminal defense attorney Brock Hunter. He's in Minneapolis. Brock, thank you so much for being with us today in U News. Welcome. Thank you, Andrew. So you're in Minneapolis. How does the city feel after the guilty verdict? What is your reaction to this decision? Many say it's a sigh of relief. It is absolutely a collective sigh of relief, Ingrid. Uh, it feels as if justice has been done in this case. The dark cloud that has been hovering over Minneapolis for the past year has begun to lift. And I think we're feeling uh, also renewed hope in the news that the Department of Justice is going to come in and investigate uh, the systemic issues within the Minneapolis Police Department. Chauvin was found guilty on all three counts. I want our viewers to better understand what he was found guilty of. Can you walk us through the charges? Sure. Uh, Derek Chauvin was charged with and convicted of second degree unintentional murder, third degree murder, and second degree manslaughter. What do you make of the diversity of the jury and the impact that could have had on this guilty verdict? Uh, well, it was significant. Uh, it, the, the jury was uh, approximately half uh, people of color, uh, which is disproportionate to, to uh, uh, their, their demographics within the Twin Cities themselves. Um, and, and it probably played a role, though I think uh, the state's case here and the facts were so powerful, uh, I'm not sure uh, that, that uh, a, a different composition of the jury would have led to a different result, frankly. Now, as we mentioned in the beginning of the newscast, the jury deliberated for just under 11 hours, asked no questions. What does it tell you about the case that the prosecution was able to build, especially with that piece of evidence, that video? Well, they had a powerful case and, and, and they had the facts on their side and they had that un unprecedented amount of video, Ingrid. I don't think I am aware of any other case uh, that where the charged offense was videotaped from so many different angles. Um, and the collective result of that was that the jury throughout the course of the trial watched George Floyd die over and over and over again in a way that was incredibly impactful, not just for the jury, but for everybody who watched. And uh, I think that that led to the very quick, decisive verdict that we saw from the jury. And it's really thanks to that video that all this now happened, because if it weren't for that piece of evidence and also that compelling testimony from the officers in that police department, 
you know, that press release that we first saw of the case painted a very different picture. Now, Chauvin is part of only a handful of police officers to be found guilty of murder. Do you foresee this decision having an impact on other cases moving forward, specifically those other three officers facing charges in Floyd's death, that they were right there at that scene? What does it mean for them? Their trial is coming up in August. Well, it means their trials are going to go forward. If Derek Chauvin had been acquitted on all counts, it's doubtful that their their charges of aiding and abetting would have gone been able to go forward. Uh, but with convictions on all three counts, their cases no doubt will go to trial. I would note their cases are a little more complicated than Derek Chauvin's. Uh, uh, two of the officers were rookies, just fresh on the job. Chauvin was their training officer. And we can hear on the body cams, each of those officers questioning Chauvin's actions during that critical nine minutes and 29 seconds that George Floyd was prone on the ground, handcuffed under Chauvin's knee. As we noted, sentencing will be in June for Chauvin. How much jail time could Derek Chauvin be facing? Maximum about 40 years, if I'm not mistaken, but how will the judge make that determination? Well, Ingrid, under Minnesota, we have sentencing guidelines, and the guideline sentence uh, for Derek Chauvin's convictions would be a little over 12 years. Uh, but in this case, the state is seeking an aggravated upward departure, a higher sentence. And they are filing motions between now and the sentencing date, citing five aggravating factors that they believe uh, should lead the judge to sentence Chauvin to something higher than the guidelines. Uh, if the judge finds one or more of these aggravating factors, he will then be free to sentence Chauvin to up to 40 years. I think collectively among my, my criminal defense colleagues, uh, we all believe that Chauvin will likely receive more than the 12 and a half year guideline sentence. I don't know that he will face all 40 years, uh, but I could easily see him facing 20 or more. We'll be monitoring this very closely. Thank you so much, Brock Hunter, criminal defense attorney in Minneapolis. Thank you, Ingrid. And joining me now to talk about the broader implications of the Chauvin verdict is Dr. Rashan Ray. He's a sociology professor and a Brookings Institution fellow. Welcome back to the show, Dr. Ray. Thank you for having me. So a release of emotion from around the country and perhaps even around the world. Also for George Floyd's family, his family members, they have, you know, really taken this with a sigh of relief. They're happy, but they say their work needs to continue. What do you think this emotional outpouring and celebration reveal about expectations of justice in America? Well, I think the first big thing is that even in a case where it's clearly a slam dunk, everyone saw the ball go into the net. But what people didn't know is when they looked at the scoreboard is whether or not the points were going to count. And that speaks to the role of racism in America, that it took uh, ample video evidence. It took a slew of officers and medical professionals coming out against Chauvin. It took a racially diverse jury to create more equity. And it took an all-star prosecution team to convict someone in what was clearly a slam dunk. I think it speaks to how difficult it is to convict police officers. Chauvin makes up less than 10 convicted of murder in the last 15 years, despite police killing over 1,000 people every year. Now, we've seen the celebrations out there, but beyond those very understandable reactions, does the guilty verdict actually move the needle at all when it comes to police accountability, particularly in black and brown communities? Well, I don't think that the guilty verdict 
in and of itself does. It's very clear that George Floyd's murder has galvanized people and has led to policy change and implementation, hence the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act. But of course, what happens in the courts in the United States is there is an over-individualization process that happens, and there is a lack of focus on the system. And one thing we know is that Derek Chauvin was a bad apple that was allowed to proliferate in a rotten tree. And that's part of what people want to see have changes made, that people want policy changes. They not only want to see individual officers held accountable, they want to see the entire system of policing and the criminal justice system held accountable. So let's go ahead and talk about reform. Shortly after the Chauvin verdict in Ohio, an officer fatally shot a black teenage girl. We don't have all the facts yet, let me note that, but what specific reforms do you believe are necessary to avoid repeatedly returning to this place? I even heard Floyd's family earlier today say, we don't wanna continue having to see someone die as a result of this. So I wrote in a Brookings article today that as the sentence was coming down and people were cheering in the street, a 15 or 16 year old girl in Cleveland, Ohio was shot dead by the police. And it seems like the more things change, the more they stay the same. Look, what needs to happen first? Qualified immunity needs to be pulled off the books. This is a court doctrine that prevents police officers from facing civil and financial liability. It then has transference to criminal court in ways that it should not be interpreted as so. Second, we need to create police department insurance policies and individual officer liability insurance. If we had that, I guarantee you that Derek Chauvin, when he probably hit his fifth or sixth misconduct complaint, not the nearly 20 that he had, that he probably would have been viewed as uninsurable. So there are some definitely some changes we can make. And look, that $27 million that went to George Floyd's family is just a drop in the bucket of the billions of dollars spent on misconduct for police in the United States. That money comes from taxpayers We need to shift the responsibility to law enforcement. Millions of people have seen the protests over the past year. What next steps do you believe are necessary to channel all of that frustration and anger into policy outcomes that actually make communities safer? Well, the big thing is that the George Floyd Justice and Policing Act needs to be voted on by the Senate. What people need to do, they should email, they should call, they should write to their senators to get that bill uh, a hearing to, to hopefully come up for a vote. And I think that's the most transformative piece of legislation that we've seen. In addition to appealing, uh, repealing qualified immunity, the other thing that it does is important. It creates national databases and national standards for use of force for police killings and bad apples. So that officers like Chauvin or even Timothy Bowman, who killed 12-year-old Tamir Rice in a park in Cleveland, Ohio, cannot go work at another department and do the same sort of victimization that they did previously. Thank you so much for sharing all this insight with us. Brookings Institution Fellow Rayshon Ray, take care. President Joe Biden touting his achievements of reaching 200 million doses of COVID-19 vaccines in the first 100 days. This as the J&J &J vaccine faces a new challenge. Lorraine Caceres explains. President Biden today expected to address the nation just days after passing his goal of delivering 200 million COVID-19 vaccine doses in the first 100 days of his presidency. 
More people in the United States are being vaccinated every single day at an accelerated pace. 213 million doses have been administered so far, and more than 86 million people in the U.S. are already fully inoculated. The worry now is vaccine hesitancy. Experts warning the country will run into another challenge soon, vaccine supply likely outstripping demand. The Kaiser Family Foundation releasing a report Tuesday saying, while timing may differ by state, we estimate that across the U.S. as a whole, we will likely reach a tipping point on vaccine enthusiasm in the next two to four weeks. This as the Johnson & Johnson vaccine faces another setback. The FDA stopping production at a plant in Baltimore weeks after 15 million doses had to be tossed due to a mistake. The CDC review panel is expected to make a decision on the future of the vaccine this week. This Friday, they will very likely come to a decision. I don't want to get ahead of them because the decision is an independent one that they will make, but I would imagine that it will be something similar to what was decided in Europe, namely that the vaccine will be allowed to be distributed, but under certain conditions. A spokesperson representing 18-year-old Emma Berkey from Nevada, who experienced blood clots after getting vaccinated with J&J, speaking to ABC's Good Morning America, saying she is fighting for her life. Her family is worried they might lose her, but they still support the vaccine. They are 100% in favor of people getting vaccinated. In fact, both of them have been. And they see this as just a, you know, a one in a million situation. Meanwhile, the focus now turning to children, the UK variants making them more susceptible to infections and symptoms than the original strains of COVID-19. The American Academy of Pediatrics saying kids are making up a growing share of new COVID-19 cases, accounting for nearly 21% from April 8th through the 15th, with more than 88,000 cases. We need to wear masks. We need to wash our hands. We need to do these things to protect children. And that precisely is getting more difficult to do. A new Ipsos Axios poll showing that people are growing tired of following public health recommendations. 53% of people admitting they visited family and friends in the last week. 48% saying they went out to eat in the last week. And 63% of people saying they wore a mask, a mask during their entire, entire outing out of their home. But that was significantly lower number than the same poll in July. Back to you, Andre. Thank you, Lorraine, for bringing us those numbers. And moving along now, Abbott's rapid home tests for COVID-19 will soon be available for purchase. They're called Binax Now self-tests and can be bought without a prescription. At first, the tests will only be sold at CVS, Walgreens, and Walmart. A pack of two tests just costs $24, and best of all, results may be obtained in as little as 15 minutes. Abbott says it's the most affordable and most studied COVID-19 rapid test in the U.S. The tests were given emergency use authorization by the Food and Drug Administration. Ecuador's government says two toddlers dropped over a fence along the U.S.-Mexico border have been reunited with their families. Now
Now, this video shot in March shows a smuggler dropping a three and five year old girl over the border fence. According to Ecuador's Ministry of Foreign Affairs, the parents live in New York. The agency did not say they have been reunited with them, only that they are with family members. The reunion took place about 18 days after Border Patrol agents took custody of those children. They spent about five days in the care of Health and Human Services. More than 200 National Guard troops are being called to the southern border. Arizona Governor Doug Ducey is declaring a state of emergency due to a rise of undocumented immigrants who are in federal custody. In a written statement Tuesday, Ducey says his state needs the protection and he blasted the Biden administration for not taking appropriate action. Arizona is providing $25 million to help pay for this mission, according to the governor. The additional troops will monitor surveillance systems and provide medical assistance for those at detention centers. Many migrants flock to the U.S. seeking jobs or opportunities, but some are taking the treacherous journey for medical reasons. And this is the heartbreaking story of a Salvadorian boy and his mother risking everything in the dangerous waters of the Rio Grande, seeking treatment for a heart condition. Eileen Cardet has the story. These are the heartbreaking cries of fear and panic of this young migrant boy with Down syndrome trying to get off a raft on the Rio Grande. <laughs> Josue, a national of El Salvador, traveling with his mother, is terrified of water. He was scared when he saw the water because he is afraid of water. Although most of the migrants who come to seek asylum are fleeing violence or poverty in their countries, there are others like Marta Flores, Josue's mother, who bring their children because of health problems. He needs treatment because he has a hard murmur. For Marta, the trip to the United States border was very difficult because of Josue's condition. But what doesn't a mother do for her children, she told us, and the United States is her last hope. I know that here in the United States there are the best doctors and I come here to look for help. It took Josue half an hour to calm down after crossing on the raft, but then he had to walk uphill for about a mile. He's already tired. For the young boy with Down syndrome, it was very difficult to continue. It's unclear how much he understands about his mother's efforts or sacrifices. Besides, he's afraid of the dark and often sat down in the middle of the road and didn't want to continue. By midnight, his mother and her son made it to a U.S. immigration office. Their dreams were coming true. I feel happy and I hope they give me an opportunity to stay and give my son a better future here. After midnight, the mother and son were left in the U.S. patrol custody, waiting to be released to find the miracle they were looking for in the United States. Aileen Cardet, U News. More of U News after this short break. Imagine a daily newscast that speaks to you about your world in plain English. Each weekday, we partner with Hispanic America's most trusted news source to bring you the stories from home and abroad that matter to you. The effects of COVID-19 will be felt for decades to come. Both parties are very far apart. Approximately 250,000 people have lost their lives. You news covers the news of your world. It makes it easy to understand. Your world, your news. You news on Fusion. Welcome back to You News. Spain's 
said it had received the first lot of Johnson & Johnson vaccines after Europe's drug regulator backed the vaccine's overall benefits against any risks of rare blood clotting. Health officials said 146,000 doses would be rolled out to Spanish regions today. Europe's drug regulator said it has found a possible link between J&J's COVID-19 vaccine and rare blood clotting issues in adults who receive doses in the United States. But overall, the benefits outweigh the risks. Colombia on Tuesday announced a daily record for COVID-19 deaths in that country with 429 people dying and nearly 17,000 cases registered over 24 hours. The South American nation is battling a third wave of coronavirus infections and has reinstated lockdown and social distancing measures to prevent the virus spread. As of Tuesday, Colombia has reported more than 2.6 million coronavirus cases as well as over 68,000 deaths. And a lab in Argentina has produced its first batch of Russia's Sputnik vaccine against COVID-19. According to a presidential palace statement, the lab sent the batch of 21,000 doses to Russia for quality control. If it's successful, the country will start the production process. Argentina is one of the first countries in Latin America to officially register the Russian Sputnik COVID-19 vaccine. Thanks for listening to You News, the podcast. Don't forget to follow You News on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. And if you haven't yet, go to Apple Podcasts and subscribe, rate, and review. And join us tomorrow for a new episode. Until then.